Okay, good afternoon and welcome everybody. We're in a, a series actually, we're, and we're in the introduction to a, a new series that we're doing that is called Doctrine. A little series of big words, and I say little series, it's going to be approximately 14 weeks or so. And <clears throat> this, this week we're going to be picking up where we left off from last week. Oh, this thing ain't working. There we go. And um, it's Doctrine Matters Part 2. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that I'm not going to be able to finish the introduction, so we'll probably carry it over to next week, so it'll be one more week before you get your books. So introduction, <laughs> so introduction, Doctrine Matters, part two. Um, maybe I'll pray for God's grace as we get ready to speak and listen. Father, thank you for your goodness. Um, illustrated in scripture, um, the Bible says, you make the sun to shine on the righteous and also on the unrighteousness, on, on the unrighteous. And this shows us, Lord, your goodness. It's a picture of your kindness and your mercy. And um, Father, we thank you not just for the sunshine, i.e. the rainfall and the, the creation, as it were, because generally that speaks of you, but we thank you for your word that specifically speaks about you and helps us to understand you personally. We don't just look at creation and say, oh, there must be a God. That's great. That's the first step. But then the second step is, what is this God like? What are you like? And we thank you that you've given us your word that has, that has very clearly and helpfully articulated who you are. And in light of that, who we are and how we ought to respond fundamentally to you as we respond to one another. Created in the image of God to love you first primarily and then to love one another. Father, would you help us as we think about doctrine and the teaching of Scripture in a more specific sense in this series, and particularly today, um, we're asking for your grace to help me speak and for us to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So <clears throat> last week we began to talk about um, the what in terms of kind of what is doctrine, and, and, I, and I gave you a definition that I'll come to, but then um, this week and, and probably next week, we're going to talk about the why. Like, what is the big deal about doctrine? Why does doctrine matter? Because that's what we're arguing, that doctrine matters. <clears throat> and we said there was a double meaning with regards to um, the fact that doctrine matters. It's a big issue. But then also the matters of doctrine, just a little bit like we said in terms of marriage matters and marriage enrichment. And, and two of the questions that we're hoping to answer are, where are we as humans and, and who are we? Even more personally, who am I? And I'm saying, where are we and who are we? And we'd like to argue that biblical doctrine, <clears throat> biblical Christian doctrine responds to both by answering those questions. When it comes to the deep issues of life, on the back of that, what is it that you believe? Do you know what I mean? Seriously, um, have you ever considered your particular perspective and what they call worldview? How do you view the world? And at the same time, how do you view yourself and even others? How do you view fundamentally God? And, <clears throat> and we're saying that um, the definition of doctrine with regards to the fact that it matters Doctrine, by definition, is teaching. And um, we said more specifically, it's a body or a collection of teaching. Um, and it's a, it's a body of teaching that has a fixed form with recognizable content. You can understand one set of doctrines, one set of teaching in conjunction or um, apart from another because they're distinct. And... These fixed traditions, we've argued, have been handed down from one generation of teachers to another. And we saw the same thing illustrated last week, right, in Jesus' teaching, um, comparing his teaching with the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees and the fact that they were very different. <clears throat> um, one, we could argue, comes from God, but the other was the doctrines or the commandments of men. Massive difference. And, and to the person that's not really looking carefully, you could be like, ah, oh, they're all talking about Jesus. And the fact, yeah, they're all talking about God. 
But there's massive distinctions. Um, We also said that um, once Jesus had died, once he'd resurrected, and once he'd ascended, historically speaking, we saw the disciples who became apostles um, begin to continually... um, faithfully communicate that body of teaching that was Jesus's to the point where it became defined as the apostles doctrine do you remember and this particular doctrine went on to create a group of individuals in Acts 2 3,000 people who then gave themselves to the apostles teaching or doctrine and that doctrine identified them as a group And it also identified them as individuals. And we'd like to to think that we join in with that same community, that same category. They were commonly known as Christians or the church. And that's exactly 2,000 years later who we would like to say we are identifying with that same apostles' doctrine. Submitting ourselves to that teaching, otherwise known as the faith. As described by Jude, again, this is just a quick summary, which is where we ended off last week, remember? Now, some things I didn't mention about this verse. In Jude 3, verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Now, If you like, common salvation could be one of the items within this bigger category of teaching or body of teaching, the faith. The faith is the bigger category. Salvation or common salvation, if you like, how to get saved, um, how it is we come about to be justified, which we'll come to in two weeks' time. Um, That's what he wanted to talk about, but he said, you know what? As much as I could talk about this detail, we got issues with the body of truth. You know what I'm saying? And he said, I found it necessary to write. And you see this throughout the whole of the New Testament where Paul is constantly making reference to, like in Galatians, he talks about those who would challenge the faith, challenge the truth, challenge the gospel. And he says, don't take, don't, don't receive it. He says, um, what does he say in Galatians about those who preach another gospel? You know what I'm saying? It, 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 beg your pardon? He says, and it's very strong. He says, let those who preach that type of doctrine, that differing doctrine, that distinct and separate, unusual in comparison to the gospel of Christ, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. And then he he repeats it, literally, just in case you didn't get it, just to clarify, because you'd be like, like, really, Paul? Yeah, really. You know what I'm saying? That's how serious it is. And more importantly, my point is, can you see that there's this distinction There's this distinction. And and Jude says, with regards to this faith, this body of truth, he says, we got to contend for it. Because notice, he says it was once for all delivered to the saints. This body of doctrine was once for all. Now, that's quite categoric, isn't it? Now, if it's once for all handed down, you know what I'm saying, Um, Delivered to the saints. How many of you know, like, it can't be done two, three, four, five different times, at least in terms of the content? Obviously, there are different people. You'll have Paul, you'll have Peter preaching, you'll have different individuals, but they're all preaching the same thing. Handed down once for all to the saints, to Christians, to the church, the body of believers that are identified on the basis of this Doctrine, And if you hold to this body of teaching that has been faithfully preserved, we said that it impacts on every aspect of your life. Relationships, art, I should say gender in, 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 in parenthesis with regards to relationships, culture, education, politics. Doctrine matters. Okay, well, let's look at some of the matters of do- doctrine matters. But let's look at some of the matters of doctrine. And we're specifically talking about Christian doctrine, Christ-centered doctrine, biblical doctrine, or evangelical doctrine. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
You probably heard that term. In other words, theology. Theology. There are lots of different ologies, right? Lots of different subjects of study, lots of different bodies of teaching. And words that use that same suffix, they call it. So when it comes to theology, <clears throat> you know, a, a suffix is the part that comes after a word, but a prefix is the part that comes prior or before a word, right? This suffix, ology, sociology, the study of social issues and human society. I wonder if you could just turn the temperature down a bit because it's hot in here. Um, thank you. Biology, another category of study, right? It's a study of life and living organisms. Anthropology, study of humans and human behavior. Ology. Now, the word actually means idea. Um, it means concept. It's actually, it actually is taken from the word logos, which is the Greek word for word or logic. What does theos mean? That's the theo, that's the so God. So, <clears throat> therefore, the study of theology is the logic, the word, the idea, or the concept of God himself. But the term has a slightly broader meaning also. You can get quite deep, but I'm going to try and keep it simple. I mean, for my own benefit as well as yours. Fundamentally, theology... <clears throat> It's a study of God, but not just about God, but about all things that God has revealed in his word. So, you've got Christology, which is the study of Christ. You've got pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Soteriology, which is the study of salvation. That's what Jude wanted to write about. Then you've got eschatology, right, which is the study of things relating to the end times, quote-unquote. All of these are subdivisions of theology. Now, I mention it this week, but probably explain it a little bit more ne next week. <clears throat> Not only do you have theology, I hope, hope I ain't lost you, right? But you've got systematic theology. There are actually different types of theology, like biblical, theolo biblical theology, Systematic theology is, I suppose, fundamentally what we're going to be doing over the next 14 weeks. What we're going to be doing is <clears throat> systematic theology in the sense that it's a systematic study of principal doctrines or principal teachings with reference to the Christian faith. I think that's the best way to put it. Systematic theology is a systematic study of principles, or doctrines that are primary, if you like, <clears throat> with reference to the Christian faith. Now, how many of you know the Bible on the surface here is, is, is a complicated book? I mean, it's, I mean, it's a big book. If it ain't, I mean, it'd be bad enough if it, were com if it were complicated. It's a big, complicated book, potentially. You know, some people talk about the Bible. You're like, okay, um, you mention the Bible. It's like, you're talking about the Old Testament or you're talking about the New Testament? Because when it comes to the Bible, you know, it's like, boy, I, can't, I don't mind the New Testament because the God of the New Testament is kind and he's merciful and gracious. But you see the God of the Old Testament, I find him hard to work with. Like they're two separate. It's actually one book. Amen, it's, amen brother. It's one book. And um, we talked a little bit about that when we've done our Bible overview. <clears throat> it's one book. It's one big story with a beginning and an ending. It starts off in a garden with God. And just two individuals, you go to the end of the book, you end up with not just a garden, you know, but what? A city. And it's not just two people now. It's an, an innumerable amount of people that you can't even count. And who is there, fundamentally and primarily? God is there. Now, that's a very simple overview in like two, three sentences. You know, so it's one story and a lot in between. And I'm saying that it could potentially seem quite complicated apart from very helpful definitions like, hopefully, helpfully definition, helpful definitions like I just gave you. <clears throat> so it's complicated in one sense, but at the same time it isn't. Augustine, I think you might have heard Pastor E quote this, and I've quoted it before, 
Now, particularly and specifically, he's talking about the book of John, if I remember rightly. But I suspect it could also be true of the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the Bible. It's shallow enough for a child to paddle in, yet it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in. You know what I'm saying? There are simple things in the Bible, but then there is very complicated things. I think, is it Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, it says, um, there are things that have been revealed to us that are for us, but the hidden things belong to God. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny because there are stuff, and I heard someone say, you know, it's not the complicated things in the Bible that trouble me. It's the things that are easy to understand that trouble me. <laughs> on, one, in one, on one hand, it's really, really complicated, but on, on another end, it's really simple. Without clear definition... The Bible is often interpreted in different, sometimes unhelpful ways. And I'm saying, some people see it as just a collection of stories, which it is, but it's not just that. That's what they call reductionism. Some say it's a rule book. It's funny, I, 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 I'm reading, you know the Jesus story, story Bible with um, the boys <clears throat> at home? <clears throat> And the Jesus Story Bible is, is really interesting because one of the things it says at the outset is what the Bible isn't. And it says, you know what, the Bible is a book that's f that, that has rules in it, but it's not strictly speaking a rule book. Now, you know, that's a revelation. That would be a revelation for some people because that's how they see the Bible. For some, it, it actually goes on to say the Bible also is not just a book of heroes, Samson, David, Goliath and you know what I'm saying it's not just although it is a book full of heroes but fundamentally the Bible is actually a book about one hero that's the other thing I didn't mention the Bible is one big story but it's actually one big story about one person fundamentally it's about Jesus the whole Bible is about Jesus and in Luke 24 you can see you can see you can see that very truth stated even from the lips of Jesus himself so it's not just a collection of stories. Some say it's a rule book. Some say it's high quality literature, especially when you read from the King James. Oh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and in that sense, some people think it's akin to Shakespeare. They're just like, yeah, it's just, it's just um, ancient literature. It goes back a few hundred, hundred years, some people think. Some people think that Shakespeare actually contributed to books in the Bible. Some people say it's old and irrelevant. Some people say it's contradictory. I, should, I could have maybe said a few more things about the old and, re, old and irrelevant part. Um, some people say the Bible contradicts itself. Often I say, when I, when I hear people say that, I say, really? They're like, yeah, didn't you know the Bible's full of contradictions? I'm like, give me three. Or now I'm still waiting for someone to give me three. You know, they may come up with what they think is a contradiction. You know what I'm saying? And very often, what seems like a real contradiction sometimes helpfully goes to contribute to being one of the foundation, fundamental doctrines of the Bible, like the Trinity. How many of you know the Trinity can be quite a complicated concept? And I'm saying, and many people, I mean, again, it's one of those things that are constantly thrown back at us is how can you believe in, you know what I'm saying? How can, how can, how can free be one? How can one be free? Again, we'll, we'll come back to that as one of the, the topics of, of fundamental and principal doctrines. Some people say that the Bible is inconsistent with science. Some people say it's just mythology. It's full of these ridiculous miracles. You ever seen these miracles that the Bible talks about take place in modern times? Some people say that the Bible <clears throat> is superseded by the Quran. Should have said the Quran. Some people say that the Bible, on the other hand, is just completely culturally irrelevant. Now, <clears throat> it could be said um, that there are many different doctrines, bodies of truth that contradict the Bible, right? Um, I'm going to give you four common ones, again, doctrines that stand in contrast or in contradiction or in opposition of the Bible. The first one is relativism. So, relativism. This is, <clears throat> this suggests that meaning and value 
have no absolute reference. Meaning and value have no absolute reference. Right? The Bible's outdated. The Bible's culturally conditioned. It was good for those who lived in primitive times. <laughs> the Bible has no place in modern society, says relativism. You heard of this guy, Frederick Nietzsche or Nietzsche. He says, said, um, there was a few things he said. He said there is no God, right? No, he said God is dead. And then when he died, someone scribbled that out and wrote underneath there. Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> um, well, one of the things he said was, he said, there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. Amen. I hear all of the, um, all of the, the, the apologists, you know what I'm saying, just pipe up nicely. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and, and what you say is, is absolutely true. I mean, he's made a statement here. Um, I mean, if you know, that's an absolute statement. That contradicts the statement. I'm saying um, Nietzsche was actually a, a nihilist. Um, that would probably more specifically refer to him. You know, I'm saying in terms of kind of where he was coming from. But to some degree, it's extreme relativism. And there's a subtle way. <laughs> there's another way. It's funny. You got. You, it's hard sometimes to detect this. These doctrines because they come in different garments. Another way of set, of talking about relativism. Is, um, <clears throat> is this statement, if you listen carefully. I'm not really a control freak, but can I show you the right way to do that? It's very, very subtle, you know what I'm saying? Um, another one is, look, and this one's much more blatant, much more blunt, and getting to the point. Since there is no God, I am God. Why? Because I'll decide what's right and wrong. Now, he said there's no God but he just defined himself as God. <laughs> I am the God, notice of my universe. And it's a picture, if you listen on podcasts, it's a picture of a little child standing on a little hill, declaring his greatness. <laughs> it's that whole thing about shaking the fist at God. You know, how many of you know, this is actually religious. This is, you know what I'm saying, a body of doctrines that, that could fundamentally identify as a religion. Because it's a set of beliefs, isn't it? You've got science, you heard of scientism. This, is, this was a new one on me, boy. Scientism <clears throat> or scientolatry. Unlike the use of the scientific method as one amongst many ways of teaching, I'm quoting, scientism claims that science alone can render truth about the world and reality. There's a slight distinction. You know, as Christians, there's things, some things in science that we agree with, but, but scientism takes it to another level. They're saying that science fundamentally alone, you know what I'm saying, is the one that helps us to understand truth and the world and reality. Scientism's single-minded adherence to only the empirical or testable makes it a strictly scientific worldview. And there are many that hold to that worldview. And a classic scientistic statement is the following. Science, which is great and glorious, flies you to the moon. Where, in contrast, religion, well, that flies you into skyscrapers. Now, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we're dealing with, you know what I mean? Scientism. Scientism doesn't realize that by definition, it actually is just another religion. And it's funny because this sounds a little bit to me like a recapitulation of what? Do you remember Genesis chapter 11? The Tower of Babel? Let's build a tower up to the heavens. To the heavens, you know, and make a name for... I mean, they only got probably as far as the third, second or third floor. You know what I mean? But... We're gonna reach, you're going to reach up to God. There's nothing new under the sun. <clears throat> and then you've got mysticism. Oh, uh, and by the way, this one, can you see how with um, the scientism, how scientism lumps all of the quote-unquote Abrahamic religions together right there? Because talk about planes flying into skyscrapers. You're obviously talking about 9-11 and Islam, right? But then Christianity is the same, quote-unquote. 
Because you look in the Old Testament, there's all these references to murdering and killing and pillaging. It's all the same. It could be argued, right? This is one doctrine, one body of truth, one, one body of teaching in comparison to another. Then you've got mysticism. Mysticism, you know. This, mysticism is experience-based. And, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's, it, it worships at the feet of individualism. It's based on feelings, and particularly my feelings. And you dare not challenge my... I won't challenge your feelings, so you dare not challenge mine. It's completely subjective. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's the spiritual apprehension of knowledge that's inaccessible to the intellect and may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. And you've got two real extremes. You've got, you can go to somewhere like Thailand or India, you know what I'm saying, and go meditate and like, burn incense and Bud- like Buddhism and all of that stuff. It's very mystical, you know what I'm saying? But then you've got that other extreme, which is just feelings-based religion, you know what I'm saying? I believe this because this is how it makes me feel. You know what I mean? And it's funny because there's overlap in many of these, these different doctrines, these different bodies of belief. I mean, you can even find mysticism in some quote-unquote churches. You know what I'm saying? Where belief is based strictly on feeling and emotions and experience. It's quite scary. That's why doctrine matters. Amen, brother. Then there's liberalism. Again, these are just a few. Liberalism. Now, liberalism is deep, again, because it finds its quote-unquote roots in the, ch- in the church. This is professing Christians that believe reason trumps the word of God. Recent reason trumps certain doctrines, especially fundamental doctrines of scripture. So pretty much a liberalist is someone who believes in the Bible quote-unquote, actually believes parts of the Bible. Takes parts, leaves others. It's like based on the evidence that we're more advanced than the 21st century. We've got to look at things a little bit differently. And a lot of it is to do with um, majority pressure. You know what I'm saying? And finances and politics. You know what I'm saying? This was this. This is modern day Sadducees who don't believe in the miraculous, don't believe in miracles, don't believe in angels and the afterlife. But we'll take the good stuff, like love your neighbour. Well, that's we'll take that one, and and and, and take care of the poor. We're, like we'll, we'll take that one. But there's other stuff that's not accepted, not acceptable. I mean, we're living in a, in, a, in a wireless, technologically advanced environment where we've got electric cars, right? And times have changed. They suggest that reason is more important than the authority of God's word. And you can see someone walking down the steps. Actually, I thought it was clearer here. It's actually clearer up there, I think. And you can see, starting at the top with Christianity, but then moving down, the Bible's not, not infallible. And what's the next one? Help me. My eye's not so good. Man not made in God's image. Wow. It's that recreation of the image. So let's create an image. Let's create a God in our own image and likeness, right? No miracles, I said. No virgin birth. No deity. And moving down. Not moving up, you know, progressively. This is digression. No atonement. No resurrection ending up in agnosticism. Is there really a God? Uh, there, there might be someone out there and then ending up in atheism. atheism. That's the downward descent of modern-day liberalism. Now, all of these are types, in one sense, of even atheism, and I'm saying, or definitely agnosticism. Um, and it's just dressed, as I said, in different outfits. Now, these are all examples of, of different doctrines, aren't they? The examples of different bodies of truth. And everyone subscribes to a doctrine. Some people got a, 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 a cocktail of three or four of them. 
<laughs> like mad confused. You know what I'm saying? Kind of picking and choosing. Because that's the day we live in, isn't it? You just, we just pick and choose what we want. Did somebody turn that down or did they turn it up? Wow. Sorry. F- forgive me for whoever that person was. I wasn't having a go at you, but that's just the way that it feels. I'm a bit mystic up here. Messed them up. <laughs> Feeling real hot. <clears throat> now, different examples of different doctrines, different bodies of teaching. Where's that one gone? There it is. Bodies or collections of teaching with a fixed form of recognizable content. And I'm, I'm saying that everyone subscribes to a doctrine. Even those that are not well thought, well thought through, which becomes a doctrine in itself. Someone says, I don't believe in God. That doesn't mean that they don't have faith. They do. The fact that they don't believe is a belief. Oh, that's much better. Wow, hallelujah. (laughs) We're saying that doctrine matters and these are the matters of doctrine. Now, based on our, that's that's the royal we, right? Based on those of us in this room now, um, based on our subscribed doctrine, we would be described as what? Anybody want to try to go for what we, what would describe us collectively? Um, maybe that's a difficult question. I'll just throw it out there. What would you come back to me at with? How do we describe ourselves? Christians, come back to that. Is that, is that is, would you say that's a good enough term for us? It's a bit general, you know what I'm saying? It's fundamentalists? Hmm, interesting. There's been a development on the word fundamentalist in terms of that which really categorizes who we are. Um, let me put you out of your misery. Um, we would be described as conservative evangelicals. <clears throat> Two words, right? Conservative evangelical. Conservative basically means not that you vote conservative and you're part of that party. What it means is, is you have a very high view of the authority of Scripture. That's what that word conservative means. And evangelical, anybody know what that means? Evangelical? Not to be confused with evangelistic or evangelism. So evangelical is from the word evangel, which is where we get our word gospel or the good news. And this is at the center of our doctrinal belief, which needs to be distinguished, like I said from it. So evangelism is me communicating the gospel, the evangel, you know what I'm saying? The good news. Evangelism is me sharing that, proclaiming that. But evangelical basically is the gospel. So evangelicalism finds its emphasis in the gospel, which is fundamental, we would argue, to the whole Bible. The whole Bible is good news. You know where the good news started in the Bible? It started as early as Genesis chapter 3. God creates a wonderful world, Genesis 1 and 2, right? Everything's wonderful. I mean, God himself turns around and said it's good. He makes Adam and Eve and he's like, boy, it's not just good, it's very good, right? And then by chapter three, everything that was good becomes very, very bad. Adam and Eve are in the garden, get tempted by the serpent, they fall, they sin, which is known as the fall, right? And things get really bad within two, within two chapters, within three chapters. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God intervenes as it were, even though he'd had a plan prepared beforehand. And God says, with regards to the problem, I'm going to fix it. And fundamentally, I'm going to send someone who's going to be the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of this serpent that seems to have caused this. From Genesis chapter, the good news, they call it the proto-evangelion, the first proto, prototype, the first mention of the gospel or the good news. It's beautiful. And I'm saying, and the rest of the Bible now will, out, will outwork how that's going to happen. And this person who's going to come, who's the seed of the woman, women don't have seed. I mean, if you know that, right? The man has the seed. But there's going to be a woman who's going to have seed. It's a picture of Mary being um, 
impregnated by the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying, no, no human agency, and this woman has seed, and her seed becomes the individual that crushes the head of the serpent. It's, it's incredible. Like, it's the greatest story ever told. It's, it's G, that's what I'm saying. The whole Bible is about Jesus. You see that? So, <clears throat> evangelicalism finds its emphasis in the gospel. That is the good news, which is fundamental to the whole Bible. First Corinthians chapter 15 Reading from verse 1 to 11 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, now be careful because I'm going to be finished and you're going to blink. You're going to say, Is he finished? So I'll ask you to pay attention. <laughs> First Corinthians 15, verse 1 says, Now, this is Paul speaking. He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the what? I know it's a little bit little, but he says, Of the gospel or the good news, right? That I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, notice, as of first importance. You see how primary that is? You see how fundamental that is? I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Can you see how this has been handed down? Right? It's a body of, a body of truth, a doctrine, Right? That which I also received. Number one, what did he receive? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the what? With the scriptures. That's the first thing. The second thing is verse four, that he was buried. And the third thing is that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What you see happen to Jesus isn't new. It was mentioned long, long beforehand. And you can see throughout the Bible. Some of you know truth. He's a rapper. He's a friend of ours. Remember, he went to school about 15 years ago and he was telling, about, about, telling us about a module that he took where he had to preach the whole... He had to preach the gospel without using the New Testament. He had to just use Old Testament to preach the gospel. And he'd be like, mm-mm, I can just about preach the gospel from the New Testament. How am I going to... How you preach the gospel from the Old Testament? Because everything that we preach in the New Testament is actually fundamentally... The, have you heard Novum Testamentum in Vetere Latet? Sounds fancy, make me look like I know what I'm doing up here, right? It's Latin, hey. But it's just a, it's just a, it's a phrase I've learned. Say that again. Big things. Basically, Novum Testamentum in Vetere Latet basically means the new is in the old concealed. And the old, sorry, the new is in the old concealed. That was right. And the old is in the new revealed. You know what I'm saying? It's one story, and, and, and this whole thing about Jesus dying for our sins, how about, where would you go in the Old Testament to quickly reference Jesus? There's so many places, but just one. Isaiah. Isaiah. Which chapter? Cheese. You know what I mean? Cheese. Isaiah 53. You know what I mean? Um, the fact that Jesus died for us in accordance with Isaiah 53, it identifies him specifically. It's just it's incredible. Um, that he was buried and that he raised on a third day. Where do you find that? This might be a bit more taxing. Jonah. Oi! Pastor Bertram. Jeez. Yes, that's a good one. How about another one? Give me one from the Psalms. Ridiculous. Psalm, who said Psalm 22? Jeez. Psalm 22. You know what I'm saying? Um, is it Psalm 22 that says, he, I, says God would not live, or is it Psalm 110? Or is it even Psalm? Is it Psalm 1? He will not leave his body in the grave, neither will his flesh see corruption. Like, which person never, went, never got buried, put in the ground, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then, and then what's the word? What happened, to, what happened to you? Eroded. What's the word? Huh? Decompose. There ain't no one, only Jesus. He's the only one that, that came back to, that you went to look for him in a grave and he's not there. He's, oh, there he is. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Walking around, talking, eating, as, it's gonna, as it says in the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Actually, it says in this part. Let me just keep reading it. Otherwise, I'm going to contradict what I said five minutes ago. <laughs> right? So, Paul's saying, this gospel, this message of good news is not new. You know what I'm saying? And it's fundamental to what we believe in terms of our doctrine. This is one of the things that makes us distinct from others and the other doctrines that are out there. 
This is the detail, and I'm saying, this is the fine print, as we mentioned last week. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas. Who's that? Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This is ridiculous. When Paul wrote this, you know what I'm saying? If he was lying, people would have refuted him because they were alive while he wrote it. There is no refutation. Most of them are still alive. You can go ask them if he's writing this today. You know what I mean? Though some have fallen asleep, that is, some have died. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, another translation says one born out of due season. He's speaking about himself. He appeared also to me, remember, on the road to Damascus. Way after Jesus had resurrected and ascended into heaven, he appeared appeared to, to Paul. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. This is his real, this is his humility, because actually he was gangster, like, you know what I mean? As an because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than, oh, here, here, here he goes, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was, that was with me. Hmm. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so, and so you believed. So where is this text from? Like this text is 1 Corinthians, it's scripture, we would argue, because there are verses that make reference. Peter talks about Paul writing scripture. And, and, and what is this New Testament scripture based on? It's based on the other scriptures. So this is scripture. This is, is the fundamental doctrine that we hold to is based on scripture. And, and, and how you interpret that is based on your view of the scriptures. Because a conservative doctrinal position has a high view of scripture. It takes scripture seriously. And can you hear the evangel, the gospel, as being central? Now, there are other essentials that form the foundation of, of the fundamentals of conservative evangelicalism, right? Conservative evangelical doctrine, which is what we attest to, like the Trinity. I mentioned that earlier, right? Which would include the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, original sin, eternal judgment. And these are all summarized in what? Have you guys heard of the, the Apostles' Creed? Well, this is the Nicene Creed, which is where the Apostles' Creed fundamentally got its inspiration. I'll just read it briefly. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. In one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, this is speaking of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick, which is an old English word for the alive, and the dead, those who are alive and dead, whose kingdom shall have no end, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, Catholic, you've got to be careful. That word means what? begins with universal. Universal, and I'll show you a distinction really briefly before we finish. This is the universal church, the the apostolic. Remember, the church that submits to the doctrine of the apostles. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, if anyone asks you what you as a member of this collective, 
what you as a member of this church, right, this ecclesia, this group, this gathered people, people gathered <clears throat> who live for God's glory, conservative evangelicals. Going back to what Bertram said, we can't just identify or define ourselves as Christians, although that actually is a biblical definition, Acts chapter 11. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. But we can't... We, we can use that, that, that term amongst ourselves because we know what we're talking about. But out there, conservative evangelical probably more helpfully defines who we are because of the common misconceptions and presuppositions that exist. When you say you're Christian, people, there's, there's 10, 15, 20, 100, 1,000 different things that people will think when they hear you say that. At least when you say I'm a conservative evangelical, nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, rah, what's that? I never heard of that before. And then you can then clarify what you are in distinction to what they may think you are if you just call yourself a Christian. And, 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 and again, that's because there are so many different and varied groups that claim that same title, yet have a fundamentally different set of doctrines. And I gave you a few of them last week. So I said Roman Catholicism, right? Now notice, it's not Catholicism. It's Roman Catholicism. Big diff, like, oh my gosh. The difference is so massive. You know, before I became a Christian... Right? If you ask me, standard, I would say, what? I'm a Roman Catholic. I remember. Up to the time I was 22, I didn't even know what it meant. You know what I'm saying? Apart from, yeah, that, that's the group that I think I identify with. Never knew nothing about. When, when I actually began to read the Bible, get exposed to biblical doctrine, I was like, I was like what? I was like, wait a minute. Initially, I was shocked because I thought, I thought all quote-unquote Christians believed the same thing. But then I started to look at Roman Catholic doctrine. And the thing is, when I got, back in the day when I got saved, there was this stuff that was really popular. Any of you heard about chick publications? You heard about chick tracks? Oh my God, chick tracks were so popular. Remember Pastor E when we first got saved back in them days? Still got yours. I wonder if they still sent Brixton is where we used to have to go to buy them. Little, little tracks that basically explain the gospel, but from loads of different perspectives. You know what I'm saying? I got one on Roman Catholicism. I was like, what? And I moved quickly from, whoa, I didn't realize there was this big... Di- I'll give you, can I give you some quick examples? So first of all, um, oh, what's the term? What's the term, the immaculate conception? You ever heard of the immaculate conception? I thought what that meant was Jesus was conceived immaculately, amazingly, incredibly. That's not talking about that. The Immaculate Conception fundamentally is talking about Mary being conceived without sin. How about Mary is the co-mediatrix? You're like, what? Yeah, back in them days, I was like, what? What's that? Well, if you want to get your sins forgiven, don't go to God because he's big and scary. He's got a baseball bat behind his throne ready for you. (laughs) Don't even go to Jesus. Because, you know, you know what I mean? Go to, go to Jesus' mother. Go to Mary and confess your sins. There. You wonder why, as a Catholic, you have to say, when you've sinned, five Hail Marys. Because you're having to pray to... Because Mary is the co-mediatrix, meaning she mediates on your behalf. How many of you know that flies in the face of biblical doctrine? The Bible says there's how many mediators is there? Thank you, my sister. There's one mediator between man and God, and it's the man Christ Jesus. It's not, and even with Catholic doctrine, you have to go not just via Mary, you've got to go via the priest. Yo, you know what I'm saying? And purgatory, l- listen. When, it, when all of that started to get unpacked, I was like, what? Now you see why I used the phrase, I'm not going to say it again. Why I used it, because it's only after I said it I realized it. But I'm like, I was like, why? So I quickly moved from amazement and shock, horror, to anger. 
I literally went looking for a Catholic priest. I, I used to live in Stock. I'm not even lying. I used to live in Stockwell when we first got, me and Helen first got married. We lived with her dad for about a year. You know, you know how, it, how it goes, right? Trying to find property and so on. So we was in, I come out there and there's a Catholic church around the corner and I see this Catholic and they had this, 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 um, this, this procession. Thank you. Lack of sleep, man. Brain ain't working so good. They had this procession, and this guy had a big cross with a, the star thing around it and all of that. And he was, and I thought, yes. I'm going to, and it's not even, I wasn't going to, I just thought, here's an opportunity for me just to, from the horse's mouth, hit, like, really, tell, like, here while I go on. And I stopped him, the procession and everything. Well, I tried to stop him. He wouldn't stop. He kept walking. But I walked with him like a reporter. And I was like, excuse me, can you please explain to me? That? And I started unre- like, un- like reeling off all of these doctrines, but he wouldn't respond to me. Now, I'm not hating on him. I'm not even hating on anyone who's Roman Catholic. What I'm trying to say is there's a big distinction between Roman Catholic doctrine and dogma. You know, you know about the Second Vatican Council? What was the first one again? What was the first one? I forget the first one. There was one big one, but the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent is where the Roman Catholic Church collated all of their doctrine and their dogma that defines them as, remember, the Roman Catholic Church because it came out of the embers of the Roman Empire. And it was at a point where the Roman Empire held sway, right? over the known world at that time. But then it began to crumble. Because here comes, is it Alexander the Great? No, he conquered the Persians. When the Roman Empire basically began to crumble, they, Charlemagne, what they tried to do was they tried to reconfigure the, 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 the empire, but there was no reconfiguring, there was no rebooting it. You know what I'm saying? And so what came out of that was a religious system where they lost power politically. And it's crazy because you go through the centuries, right up to like the 11th, 12th, 13th century, the Roman Catholic Church regained political, the political power that it lost as Rome a whole millennia prior. You know what I'm saying? And the Roman Catholic Church held sway over the whole of Europe. You know what I'm saying? And beyond. Not just religiously, but politically. It's like they say the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn nothing from history. And, t- and, 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 and fact is, is greater than fiction. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying, that's one example. Just in case I might have mentioned Roman Catholicism. Why is he hating on Roman Catholics? Surely. Now, I'm saying there are probably some Catholics that actually believe in Jesus. They trust him, you know what I'm saying? And they're just being misled by the fundamental tenets of the Roman Catholic faith. You understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, I'm not hating. And I mentioned Mormons, and I mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, right? As examples of quote-unquote... So you say I'm a Christian, people are like, oh, you're a Mormon. Oh, 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 you're, oh yeah, I know you. You're one of, you come knocking like disturbing people every Saturday morning. Yeah, I know who you are. When you say you're a Christian, and I'm saying no... Now, as much as these groups fall outside the canopy of conservative evangelicalism, right, there are many groups that would fall, in, fall within the category of conservative evangelicalism. So, and, and I wish I had time, but, you know, like, we've got to keep it moving, right? But Calvinists and Armenians, if you ever know, the drama. Bro, the drama. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, like. You know what I'm saying? One saved and the other ain't saved. Why? Oh my gosh. Yeah, but I would argue, you know what I'm saying? Now, there are going to be issues with regards to, uh, let me come to that. Dispensationalists, charismatic, Pentecostals. Maybe I should say, look, within these groups, generally speaking, you know what I'm saying? They hold to um, traditional evangelical values, but then there are some that don't. It's not every single... Pen- so you've got some Pentecostals that are what they call modalists. And modalists, they don't believe in a trinity the way we would fundamentally. But I would say the majority of Pentecostals I know, you know what I mean? They back it for the trinity hard. 
You know what I mean? They may not fully understand it and even can explain it. And, and again, not many of us can. You know what I'm saying? But they believe it. So that, and then there are, and then within this, then there, there are denominational distinctions between these evangelical groups. So you got you got Pentecostals, but you got a whole range. You got Church of God in Christ. You got New Testament Assembly. You got um, Church of God of Prophecy. They're all they're all Pentecostals, but then they have their differences and distinctions. You know what I'm saying? Just like charismatics. Um, um, and, and, and they differ on modes of baptism, gifts of the spirit, church, government, ecclesia, right? Complementarian versus egalitarian. That's women in ministry. How does that all work? You know what I'm saying? But we would see these issues that I just mentioned as peripheral or secondary issues. We can talk about them. We need to talk about them, but they're not a hill that we're going to die on. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to the ones I mentioned earlier, which are fundamental and primary issues. Another way of describing, I heard, I heard um, Mark Driscoll talk about closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. You know what I'm saying? So open-handed issues, we can agree to disagree on, but closed-handed issues are a hill to die on. Let me end on this. Again, I unpacked a lot of stuff that I'm not able to clear, completely clarify. Let me end on Augustine again. It's another quote from Augustine. You know, Augustine was a man of color. He's like one of the early church fathers. Um, Augustine of Hippo. You know where Hippo is? Hippo is Algeria. Which is obviously a country in Africa. He says, in essentials, unity. You know what I'm saying? Like when it comes to the essentials, we have to unify on the essentials. There's no, there's no movement on the essentials of doctrine. You know what I'm saying? On non-essentials, there's liberty. You know what I'm saying? You may not agree in speaking in tongues. You know what I'm saying? Or you may believe in speaking in tongues. You know what I'm saying? Notice I never told you what I believe or don't believe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's not, it's like, it's, it's praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, let's not fight over that. You know what I'm saying? They're non-essentials. Now, they're important, especially, you know what I'm saying, when you, when, you know what I'm saying? When you have a church and you have to define some kind of doctrine when, we, when you get to that. But, Liberty on them things, man. I ain't going to fight and die over that. This has changed the face of the church worldwide overnight if everybody understood this. You know what I'm saying? So in the essentials, we have to unify on them or we can't unify at all on the essentials. In the non-essentials, there's liberty, man. But in all things, charity. So even as I spoke out maybe against some doctrines that are distinct from evangelical Christianity, evangelical um, Theology, you know what I'm saying? I'm not doing that and doing so in a harsh manner and in an attackive uh, manner, you know what I'm saying? It's just what it is, you know what I'm saying? And uh, those dividing lines, they exist. And this is why doctrine matters as we talk about the matters of doctrine. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the team to come join me as I pray. Hmm. Doctrine matters. Is that in your way? So, so would, you, would you pray with me? Um, Father, thank you for your word. It's the measuring stick. And um, on one hand, it's so helpful that we have it. Wow. Lord, on the other hand, it can be really challenging as we are challenged by it, depending on our particular perspective, our particular presumption, our particular worldview. We're challenged by it. But at the same time, we're so grateful for it because it brings about a distinction. And like I prayed initially, Father, what it does is it, it gives us theology. It teaches us who you are. It gives us insight, special revelation into how you think, what you like, what you dislike. It helps us to, to understand who you are. And I thank you, Lord God. One of the things that describes you is that you are love. We know that you're God of justice. We know that you are a God who is creative, 
One of the, the Bible doesn't say that's what you are. The Bible says you are love. You create, and you are the creator. And everything in terms of creation starts with you. But how you're defined is that you are a God of love. And Islam doesn't describe Allah like that. None of the other religions can um, attest to the fact that their God is a father who adopts. Thank you for these massive doctrines that we're going to get to unpack that help us to understand who you are. And these doctrines matter because it's, 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 it's individual items of of information and teaching that keep us on a day-to-day basis. Wake up this morning, feel like rubbish, but grateful that we're justified, not on the basis of our works, wow, or our feelings, but we're justified on the basis of the blood that Christ shed for us on the cross once for all. Thank you for doctrine. It matters. And Lord, would you help us to appreciate that and even be much clearer in our understanding of where we are in this world and who we are in relation to theology. Help us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.